We all wonder if offenders can actually stop themselves from reoffending and what we're going to do about all of this. Here's a video of a convicted sex offender giving us his account. Okay, so we've talked a lot about this on my channels before. What are we actually going to do with the people who have offended, served their prison sentence, now they're released back into our community and there is always going to be that potential that they're going to re-offend. Can they ever recover? Can they ever stop offending uh, if they feel like they that's something that they want to do? A lot of people think they can never be healed or they can never be mended or fixed in any way. Here I found a video of a convicted sex offender giving us his account and I believe that the people that actually commit the crime hold so much information and therefore this I believe is a good thing for us to do to see what this gentleman is saying. Let's go through it. All right, Bill. Hi. Bill, uh, where'd you grow up? Where are you from originally? I was born in Chicago. And tell me about your family. You had both your parents growing up? Yeah, I grew up in a typical middle class suburban home. Good how was, family. How would you describe your childhood? Chaotic, uh, abusive. What kind of stuff went on? Uh, molestation. I was physically abused, emotionally abused. Kind of every kind of abuse there, there could be to a kid we were. But it was in the 60s and 70s, so that was just the norm, we thought. This was from who? My parents. Your parents? Yes. Both parents? Uh, my father was the physical and the emotional abuser. My mother sexually abused us, and my we had there was a babysitter that would sexually abuse us. So there were other siblings that yes. went through this? And what kind of kid were you in high school? Uh, kind of a loner, trouble, always in trouble. Always just trying to get out of everything. And how did this uh, affect your life as you, as you got older? Well, I never really picked up on any of the social skills I needed to, to be like a functioning member of society type thing. And as a result, I grew up an old man that's still a loner, still don't really like a lot with society, don't really trust a lot of people. Have you ever been uh, married or? Yeah, I was married once. You have kids? Yes. I have uh, two sons that I never get to see. And I have a daughter and a stepdaughter that I, um, a very active part in their life. And what what kind of effects does this have on your life now today? How old, how old are you today? I'm 60, 60. well, 58. Mm -hmm. And uh, how, how was this child? Can I just stop it there, just quickly? How do you feel about him at the moment? Him telling the story of being horrifically abused as a child by his mother and father, physical and sexual. How do you feel about it now when you look at his face? He hasn't told us about the crimes he's committed yet. How do you feel about him right now? Any empathy? Um, 
Let's see how we feel once he starts explaining about the crimes that he's committed. Trauma affected you now? Um, I've had a lot of treatment, so I've gotten to work through a lot of it. Um, Does that help? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, So therapy? When I was uh, after prison, they sent me to another special prison for sex offenders for what they termed long-term indefinite control care and treatment. And I did about eight years, eight and a half years of really intensive treatment there. How often would that happen? Like weekly? Daily. Daily. Probably six, eight hours a day, four or five days a week. Really? Yeah. I I mean, it was an in-house. It was a prison. Yeah. It was a prison that they sent us to. And you either went through their treatment program or you stayed there forever. What what kind of things would you work on? Um, Everything. I mean, everything's related to your sexual offending. So it was from childhood all the way up to the present day and, you know, the things that you... You've, you've experienced in the way that shapes your thinking and the way you make your decisions and your problem-solving skills and your conflict pro- resolution skills. You're just starting to work on all of that. You work on your arousal management. Uh, mostly it's getting into all the things that, that contributed to bringing you to a point where you committed a sexual crime. All the, the thinking errors and the emotional inabilities and, and the, just everything that was just wrong about the way you handled things. Um, it was it was pretty intense. I mean, I never wanted to be there, but I'm I'm absolutely glad I, I was there and I I got everything that I could from there. And you feel like you're a sa- uh, a better, safer member of society now? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I've been out uh, 12 years now. I got arrested once for uh, I didn't register properly, but the registration laws can be so confusing sometimes. Yeah. So I got a registration violation for not a not registering a temporary address correctly. So they gave me five years of probation for that. I got lucky. I didn't have to go back to prison. Because if I'd have gone back to prison, I probably would have had to go back to the center. But does the, the, the temptation exist still? No, I've learned how to deal with all that. I've learned, I've learned what voids I was trying to fill, what needs I was trying to satisfy. Um, the sad thing is, 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 as a human being, we're so sex, you know, our, our sexuality is so hardwired into who and what we are that to try to deal with, you, you end up developing some, I mean, I don't want to put a light coat on it, but you end up developing what we call an appetite, a desire. And some of those desires may never go away, but you just have to learn how to rearrange your life, relive your life so that you're not putting yourself in situations where there are temptations. Okay so much to talk about right and I've like commented or tried to open the discussion on this quite a few times on my social media platforms so this man has been to prison for the offense we don't know what the offense is yet but this man's been to prison for um, sex offenses the way he described the rehabilitation program in the prison that he was at seems to be um, quite intense. He he mentioned like every day they're doing something with you. That's got to fill us with some kind of optimism, right? That people aren't just, these people that are committing these offences aren't just locked up in a cell, do their time and then put out straight back out into the community. There's been a lot of work um, that's been done with him. So that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. That's what we that's what we want. That's what we're after. 
then he talks about these things being these temptations or these desires being part of his life part of his mind and it's about learning the tools and the techniques on how to handle these temptations when they come across strong so lots of people don't like this conversation I've had angry responses to some of my posts when I've tried to open this conversation because you can't lock everyone up forever that's committed an offence. Maybe we want to say they should be locked up forever if they commit an offence. If you commit an offence, a sexual offence against a child, you should be locked up forever. (laughs) Do you know what? I think that's a good idea. But it's not a realistic idea, right? It it would just cost it would just cost way too money, too much money as a starter. The government would never do that. So what are we gonna do when they are released? Give them the tools and the techniques how to handle the desires that they will always have in their head. It's not like they're gonna do five years in prison and be like I don't I don't want to do that anymore. I feel like it's almost about time we face the reality of what is going on in a sex offender's head and working towards making sure they never do it again. Let's find out what more he has to say. That question that I asked a couple of minutes ago before we heard about his offences, do you have any empathy for him following the horrific abuse that he went through as a, in his childhood? What was your empathy level then? And what's your empathy level now? Has it changed? Let's hear a little bit more. You know, I, I haven't thought about molesting a child. I haven't indulged in any of the, the deviant fantasies that I, I've had prior um, because I've learned how to address me, how to carry me, how to move myself forward instead of living in the now. I learned how to look forward a little bit and, and not set myself up where there could be a problem. It's like any other addiction. A sexual addiction is, is like any other addiction. And you, you just, you've got to learn what it is that you were trying to fill, what void it is, what pain you were trying to cover, or what, what thought, whatever it was you thought you were missing, or whatever shortcomings you thought you had to overcome. You had to learn to, to live your life in such a way that those decisions don't come back up. So. May I ask what kind of offenses you had? I have, my first offense was in 1990. That was for a attempted capital sexual battery which is just a legal term for I touched a less than 12 year old or a a girl that was under the age of 12 and then in 1996 I got charged with a lewd and lascivious battery which is letting a child under the age of 16 see my genitals how do you feel now now how do you feel you've heard the detail of his offenses now all of a sudden you can feel the anger the levels of anger the emotion of anger just spike right now we hate him we started let me talk from my side 
I started and I wonder how you felt. I started feeling a level of empathy that he had a terrible childhood. The empathy reduced when I heard that he'd committed crimes of a sexual nature. And now when he talks about the girl of 12 years old and the child of under under 16 years old, now, now you hate him. Now you're angry at him. And that's allowed, right? Of course we should feel like that. We shouldn't we shouldn't not be angry. The ang- the anger's a good emotion. It it, it it tells us that this is wrong. It tells us that we care about this crime not being committed on this planet. So the anger needs to be there. But he served his prison sentence. Now he's out. And now we want him to do his best to not reoffend. We want him to not reoffend, right? Not not do his best. We want him not to reoffend. So is only anger towards him do we need do we still need that little bit of empathy there? Do we still need that? Do we still need that so that we can build support services and uh, professional uh, uh, jobs that work with these people because if we're just angry we're not going to build any of that i'm talking like on as a society as a community who 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 as a society that that whose priority is for children not to be abused i hope that makes sense what i'm trying to say um or, or what i'm trying to detail here it's very difficult because i'm trying to think on the fly here as well and these are such sensitive topics and emotive topics and let's see what more he's got to say so those are my charges and so therapy worked very well it sounds like for you absolutely um when i went into therapy i was absolutely a a, a psychopath um there's a there's actually a test for that the hair pclr test and i scored psychopathy off the charts a normal person is somewhere 12 to 18 i scored in the 30s but through the treatment and through the work that i was able to do got myself back down to a, a normal score in the mid teens low teens and uh again it's just as a sex offender and i think as a human being we can't we can't cause harm to another human being without giving ourselves some kind of a, a justification, some kind of a permission. We have to convince ourselves in some kind of way, although it's irrational, that it's okay to do what we're doing. And as a result of that, you lose what they call empathy. You, you, you're not able to emotionally connect with other people. And that's what allows you to, to, to harm another human being. Well, learning how to reconnect with people at an emotional level was... It was a long and hard trip. It took a lot of work, and it was not, I can't say that any step of it was pleasant, but the end result was that, you know, I'm one of the fortunate ones that got to get plugged back into the human, human society. Yeah. Are, you ha- are you happier now? Much happier. Yeah. Um, um, I've gotten to a point where I can put all the, the trauma and the mistrust and all the stuff that happened to me as, 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 as a child and as a as young adult I can put all that away and and just live in the now. And I'm far happier with who I am, the direction I'm going, what I've become. Um, I've become a, a giver, not a taker. And I'm happy with that.
do you ever have what, what emotions do you struggle with still depression or anger or anxiety anything like that sometimes i struggle with anger um depression not so much because you know life is every life is what you see and i have there's so many things that make me happy there's so many things that i'm so happy are part of my life i have a, a beautiful grandchildren i have a, an amazing daughter and a, a stepdaughter that are just wonderful wonderful people so i i tend to focus more on the you know what's good instead of what's wrong and then that keeps me in a positive frame of mind so i'm not i'm not looking to overcome anything i'm just looking to enjoy it and how, how has your relationship with your family been through all this with my children or my both uh, my children are fine. With my parents, I haven't spoken to my parents in decades. What about your siblings? None of them. You don't talk to them? No. Uh, do you know if your siblings are struggling with some of the same stuff? I wouldn't know. No. I have. I mean, I was pretty young when I was kicked out of the house, and I've never turned back, and I, I don't have any interest in it. Um, it's That's pretty deep, right? Because his siblings were... He mentioned at the start of the video that his siblings... Um, were being abused with him by their mother and father. So it's almost a little bit sad. They all went through the same thing, but they can't help each other or support each other. Um, they all share an experience of abuse, which would make me think that they kind of, in some way, each have a, a key to each other's trauma and can support each other in that way. But that's not the only reason why I stopped it here. I just wondered, do you feel like he's a danger? Like he's talking about his um, daughter and stepdaughter and his grandkids. And Do you think he's a danger? His persona or, or the way he's just 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 from the video all right like i can only see the visual right i don't maybe he's good at maybe it's pure trickery and i'm i'm completely naive but just first first off he doesn't seem like a dangerous man right and I, it's a stupid thing to say isn't it it's a stupid thing to say of course he doesn't seem like a dangerous man but in his head he's dangerous right but just as you're watching it now do you feel a danger from him? Now, obviously, you wouldn't want him anywhere near any of your family, right? You, you just wouldn't even risk that. If he was your granddad or he was your dad, oh, I wonder how you'd feel then. Like, if you're the, this, this daughter and stepdaughter that he's talking about... Um, would ha put put yourself in their shoes that this is this is their dad he's done some crimes back in the 90s before you were born he's been to prison served his sentence he's talking about being a recovered man do you think do you think you'd have anything to do with him like i i, I don't know what my answer to that is so interesting right it's just so interesting i've just got to stop the camera and restart it again because it's going to run out of time one second okay let's continue with what this man's saying i don't want to go back to a a, a situation where 
you know, through all the treatment I went through, I've, I've learned to see not just my shortcomings, but things that contributed to it. And, you know, a lot of it falls into the way I was raised and, and the, the, the atmosphere I was raised in. And I just have no desire to go back to it at all. It sounds like you take a lot of the responsibility for, for what you did. I made my decisions. Nobody, uh, you know, I, I'm not one of these ones that likes to say, oh, my mommy took my, my pacifier away too early, so I turned out all screwed up. No, that, I did what I did. I made the decision. I created the problems. I committed the actions. I did all that. That was me. Okay. Nobody did that. It's nobody else's fault. It's my fault. Um, okay. But that's a static thing. You can't undo that. All I can do is figure out why did I do that? What contributed to that? What what was what was the cocktail that all the conditions were right to make that happen? And then make sure that those conditions don't happen again. And so, there's just no need for me. I'm I'm much happier without my family. I don't want to be a part of their lives. And as far as I know, they don't really want to be a part of mine. And what's the most important lesson you feel like you've learned? My most important lesson, um, uh, to be honest with myself, you know what? You don't have to be perfect. Everything doesn't have to feel good. You know, sometimes there's just bad feelings. Sometimes things aren't perfect, and that's okay. And I, I, you try to hold yourself up to such a standard of perfection that you can't possibly meet, and, and as a result, you end up trying to nurse your emotional wounds of falling short of who you think you're supposed to be. And... I found some pretty screwed up ways of doing that. Uh, that's just um, uh, j just a side note, right? That's pretty valuable advice. That really resonated with me. Constant drive for perfection, which is impossible to uphold. And when things don't go right for you or you make a decision that's not perfect, you just kill yourself about it. That's something that I struggle with and that was valuable advice regardless if it's from somebody has com committed heinous crimes or not just the words let's just take the words let's take the man out of those words those that that was valuable it's almost like you reparented yourself after you started all this therapy i absolutely did i mean my this the um the, the clinical staff at the center was phenomenal there's so many people there that are just they're going to fake it till they make it you know they're just going through the motions so they can get out the gate and i can't lie i wanted to do the same thing i wanted to get out of there but i was never ever ever happy in my life ever even when i had everything that you could want i was never a happy person but when i went to the center and i realized you know what here's a chance to, to actually i mean i'm here i'm not going anywhere they're not letting me out and i have a chance to actually work on some things and, and start digging into some things and start looking at some things because there's nobody left to blame. I'm sitting here in a cell by myself. There's nobody left to blame it on. So once they saw that I was willing to do the work and I really wanted to make some changes in my life, they went all out for me. They are the people at the Florida Civil Commitment Center, the clinical staff are amazing people. They uh, uh, One example, there's a doctor there I hadn't cried. When I was a kid, my parents would beat us, and to stop us from crying, there's actually a physiological, um, you can swallow and stop yourself from crying. If you're ever crying, swallow, you'll stop. And my parents used to beat it into a swallow it, swallow it. And so as a result, I became absolutely unable to cry. I could not cry. 
uh, one of the doctors in Arcadia would literally take me personally to her office one night every week and work on trying just to get me to cry. And it took a long, long time. And when we finally had a breakthrough and I finally started crying, it was an ugly, <laughs> ugly, ugly cry. But she did that on her own. That wasn't part of her curriculum. That wasn't part of her, her, her job. That wasn't part. She just did that because she saw a need that would benefit me. A, you know, a way to express myself, a way to release my emotions, a way to, to, to handle that without having to stuff it all in because nothing's big enough to handle it, all of it. It's, if you keep stuffing things in, eventually it's going to blow up. Can you imagine um, working in these environments? Could you imagine being that person who he's just mentioned? Could you imagine working in these centers with paedophiles who are either honestly trying to recover, trying to mend themselves and you will know that there are a number of them who just don't give an f and they're just going through the procedure so they can get out there and do it again could you imagine going to work every day and and doing that i just did a podcast last week and i said that same thing about the police i think there's too much uh, imagine working on any kind of child sexual abuse investigation team, research team, prevention team, any of those, are dealing with this topic every day for your work. I know I'm doing it as well, but I feel like someone like this lady who he's talking about is completely different. You, you would have to be a really strong person to deal with that, working on the police investigation teams who are looking through videos and images and talking to people to pe going through people's trauma and talking to the offenders and like it's really gonna you have to be a strong person to do that so my hat goes off to anyone out there that has a job in any of these fields it must be stressful it must be traumatic it must be difficult to separate your personal life from your work like how would you ever just leave that work like clock off at 5 p.m and be like oh we're going out for drinks like you've just been dealing with a case of a five-year-old being abused by their father like i just want to support those people that are helping actually on the front line doing the prevention would you consider yourself one of the very few that's that's broken out of this yeah, absolutely. It doesn't. It's not very common, I assume. Um, not from a psychopathy, no. Um, the sexual desires, it's it's like any other addiction. It's you know you. There's a lot of people that can that have overcome it, that don't want to be sex offenders. I never met one sex offender, and I've been doing this for thirty years. I never met one sex offender that wanted to be a sex offender. Huh. Never met one sex offender that was happy with what they were doing, that hmm. thought what they were doing was right. I mean, everybody knows it's wrong. It was just un we couldn't stop ourselves because it's an addiction. And just like any other addiction, you're going to put yourself in, in temptation's way and you're going to fold eventually. But as far as the whole learning how to think and feel and all that, yeah, I don't think there's a lot of people that come back from, from, from that. I well, think, what was the hardest part for you? Um, accepting myself the way I am accepting myself as imperfect because you know I, I grew up in a household where you had to be perfect there, there was there was no room for error there was you know you didn't bring home anything but an a um, you just you just had to everything had to be just perfect and so accepting myself as imperfect and having problems and and 
being able to accept that, hey, here's something that needs to be taken care of. Here's something that needs to be looked at or addressed. That was really difficult because I just wanted to put my blinders on and just go through life. I'm good. Everything's good. Were drugs or alcohol ever a part of your life? Absolutely. Not alcohol. Um, I mean, that's only on a tolerance thing just because I can't drink. I just don't have the tolerance for it. Um, but drugs, yeah, absolutely. And did that play a part in the instances that you... Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And what's, what's, what, what advice can you give to anyone else who's struggling with something, thoughts like this or desires like this? I would say talk to somebody. Understand that um, it doesn't have to be the way it is. You can talk to somebody and you can figure out there's something behind what you're, what you're feeling. There's something behind what you're desiring. And um, you're not going to find it acting out on those desires. That's just a... a, there's, a there's another level to it. Yeah, it's just, it's just a Band-Aid that you're going to put on it. Behind it all, there's something that you're missing. There's something that you need. And talk to somebody that can help you find out what that is. Okay. Okay. This is where the real work begins, I believe. Encouraging people who have these thoughts in their head to come forward and seek support. To create environments that they can go to without fear. Because, like he's saying, you got to speak to someone. And whenever I've mentioned this on my social media platforms, there are a number of people that come back at me saying, just kill them all, just castrate them all, just lock them all up. You can't lock someone into prison that hasn't committed the crime yet. You can't go locking people up for thoughts that exist in their head. So what are we going to do about this? To say to... I was going to say... To say to to men who, who are predominantly committing this crime. Young men, also. If you've got these thoughts in your head, don't think that you can handle them on your own. You have to come forward. Now, the second half of that is that we need to make sure there are enough support systems that are open and inviting for people to come forward. One of them being... Stop It Now, which are a charity that work here in the UK. I interviewed the director of that, Stuart Allardyce, some months ago. I'll put a link to that interview in the description. In 2021, they received 7,000 calls from men anonymously saying that they're worried about what they're watching online and the thoughts in their head, and they went forward and got support. Out of those 7,000 men, yes, maybe some of them just continued and didn't bother following that through but if that's one of those 7,000 men that this charity managed to stop actually taking action to another child then that's a success right so yes what he's saying go and speak to someone if you've got these thoughts in your head you're not going to be able to handle it on your own then it's our responsibility I feel to create the support services for people to go to. Because we're about prevention, right? We're about prevention, not reaction. 
not getting these people once the crime has been committed, getting to these people that ha are this way inclined before they actually commit the crime. I think a lot of, a huge part of the whole sex offending cycle is the secrecy. It's such a burden to carry around. It's such a, a load that you have to carry with you that it, you, you're going to fold underneath it. And if you, can, if you could find some place that you could talk to somebody and, and let all that out and not carry it around with you, um, sadly our system isn't set up for that. Um, there's very few places in this country where you can okay. go and say, hey, look, this is what I'm feeling and not get into some problems. Um, but find somebody that you can talk to before you act out, before you act on the issues um, and, and unload it. Don't carry it around with you because it, it's not going to go anywhere. All it takes is the introduction of some rational thought to understand how to handle it. It's, it's not really that difficult to handle once you're willing to do it, once you're willing to be honest about it. But, you know, it's funny. It's, you hear society talk about the sex offenders, the boogeyman, the, the, the child molester, the, the, the bush jumpers, whatever. And yet nothing that they ever say or do is nearly as harsh as what you, you judge yourself as. Um, nobody ever judges you as harshly as you do yourself. And it's kind of kind of hard to face the fact, hey, look, I'm a, I'm a sex offender. I molested a child. Huh. It's, it's a really hard, hard portrait of yourself to look at. And until you get to that point where you can look at it and objectively and honestly address it, you're just going to be spinning your wheels. But once you get to that point, once you really get to a point where you're, I, I don't want to do this. This isn't right. I can't do this. Um, you can figure your way through it. But you got to get to that point. Excellent. Well, Bill, thank you so much for talking with me. My pleasure. I'm happy. I'm happy for you. <laughs> 30 years. That's great. Thank you. Okay. Just for anybody that doesn't know about this channel, Soft White Underbelly is the YouTube channel. They're on all the other social media platforms as well. This guy just interviews people and is an open platform. And I feel like this video and this man who was open when describing his brain what's going on in his brain is vital information for us to understand more about the nature of the people that are committing the crime. And I feel like that is such a big piece of the puzzle that we're trying to figure out. Why is it that people are committing this crime? And how can we encourage them or work with them so that they don't commit the crime. Now, if you got to this part of the video and you are feeling angry about this suggestion of uh, clinics or, is clinic the right word? Um, centres that would work with these people. If that's making you feel angry, which it did when I first started this work, let me explain how I have now not, I am not feeling angry towards that suggestion of investing 
money and time and effort into creating centers like this because if there were centers like this available during the time that I was being abused as a child or of course before I was being abused as a child and we had a society that was more encouraging for young men to come forward who feel like they're in danger in their own head Maybe even it's something as subtle as they're a bit worried about what they're starting to like when they watch porn on their computer or their mobile phone. If we had a more open society like that back in the 80s, before I was being abused as a child, maybe the man that did this to me would have seeked that help and not left me alone. That would be a good thing, wouldn't it? So we can see how these centres can be of help. Because anybody that's watching this that also went through abuse as a child, I'm going to say that you also would have liked there to have been a more open society and more centres for people to go to so that they could straighten out what they've got in their head before they got to you and acted out there desire on you we all want that now I am under no illusion that there are also a percentage of people that are committing this horrific crime against children who just don't care about it they don't want to change they're going to keep going until they get caught serve their prison sentence get out, find better ways of not getting caught the next time, keep going and getting caught and just go, they just don't care. They're ruthless. And these centres are no good for them. This encouraging encouraging people to come forward isn't, isn't for them. But for the, let's say, 10% of the people that have these thoughts in their head, for the 10% that we could get them to stop doing what they're doing before they do it, that's got to be worth it. I thought this was great insight into the mind of a sex offender. And I want to do more of these videos so we can understand more. And we can start working towards putting a stop to this crime. Thank you.